Hello and welcome to the Immigrant Incorporate podcast. My guest today is Rosie Zelinskas, who is an immigrant from Mexico currently based in the United States. Rosie is an executive in the insurance industry with decades of experience and she still is actively working in an executive role in corporate America. Rosie is also the executive career strategist behind the No Woman Left Behind brand, which includes the No Woman Left Behind podcast, career building services, mentoring support group, and consultancy. She is the co-author of the best-selling book, Engaging Speakers, Voices of Truth. Rosie is deeply passionate about supporting women, advancing on equal footing within the corporate world. Thank you for joining us. Hello, and welcome to the Immigrant Incorporate podcast. On this podcast, you will learn from lived experiences how to thrive in the corporate workplace as an immigrant. My name is Lola Adeyemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrant Incorporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. On this podcast, I will be amplifying immigrant voices from within corporate organizations through solo episodes as well as guest interviews. It is a global world of work, and I'm very sure you can learn a thing or two from my guests who are originally from different parts of the world and their experiences working in the corporate workplace. Hello and welcome to the Immigrant Incorporate podcast. I am looking forward to my conversation with Rosie today, who wears so many hats and brings a lot of deep insights into this topic of immigrants in the corporate workplace. Hi, Rosie. Hi, Lola. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. I'm good. Thank you for being here. So let's jump right in. Um, tell us about your immigrant story. Um, you have one of those unique. Uh, very relevant stories to these. So tell us about your background, a little bit of your background, as much as you want to tell us, and then how you became an immigrant. Yeah, so there's so much to unpack there, Lola, but I was actually born in Chicago, and I live in Chicago right now, just right outside of Chicago, but I was born, and then my parents are both, and I know I don't look it because I'm like white complected, but I'm 100% Mexican. Obviously, my parents are both 100% Mexican. I was born we moved straight to Mexico City. I was there till about kindergarten. And then my dad all of a sudden had a business opportunity. And he's like, okay, we're moving back to Chicago. But it was in the middle of the school year. So I started kindergarten and I didn't know a word of English. And at the time I had um, an older sister who's in third grade and sixth grade. So all three of us were just propelled into school. And we were in uh, classes, English as a second language, all that stuff, but it was so challenging because people were talking to me and I didn't know what they were saying. And I hated the, the food at school. So I would throw it out every day and they called my mom and then she started making me refried bean tacos every single day. So I was happy as a clam. I was there till about third grade. And then my dad was like, oh, we're moving back to Mexico City. So it was an entire readjustment again, because now English was essentially my first language. And I started a fourth grade 
and I didn't know how to write Spanish anymore or at all because I never learned to write Spanish. So I'm in fourth grade trying to figure out what is all, what are all these words that I have to figure out how to write. So I acclimated in fourth grade. I was there till eighth grade. And guess what? My dad says, we're going back to the United States. So this time we went to McAllen, Texas, which is right across the Rio Grande Valley, the border. And I started ninth grade Lola. And I didn't know what a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior was. I didn't know anything about the government. The first day of history, the uh, history teacher was like, what are the, the three branches of the government? And all these kids are legislative, executive, judicial. And I had no clue what was going on. Ultimately, I ended up graduating high school in the top 10% of my class. But it would take me about three hours to read one history chapter because I had to look up so many words because now I missed all of junior high in the English language. So I started ninth grade with a third grade English language level. So high school was very challenging acclimating. I then in Texas, my parents decided to move back to Chicago. I stayed in Austin with my sister and I was there for a couple of years and then I couldn't take it anymore. I miss my mom too much, my dad. So I moved to Chicago and I finally went to the University of Illinois where I graduated from. But all of this back and forth, Lola, was just so difficult because you leave friends, you leave your home, you leave your things that you're attached to. And I think I'm not attached to a lot of material things. And I think that's why, because I would leave things all the time moving back and forth. So even though I was born in the US, I am 100% Mexican. I consider myself 100% Mexican with my parents and my, my Hispanic heritage, my Latina heritage comes first and foremost. So, and then I graduated from University of Illinois and I started straight into the corporate world. And I have been there for 30 years now in the insurance industry. So that's just in a nutshell, a little bit about my upbringing. Yeah. No, definitely unique experience. I don't have to hard if I don't have to ask if that was hard. I mean, I'm just picturing it. I've only immigrated once, and it was hard. It still is hard. I I have a fourth grader, so in my mind, I'm trying to imagine him having moved twice in this short life and having to learn different languages. And I can just say, this exactly highlights why we we are having this conversation, right? It's not about where you are physically born. It's about a lot of things when people are moving around and especially as it relates to the corporate workplace. So um yeah, so thanks for for sharing that <laughs> because now you're making the wheel spin and making me think about all of these possible questions I could ask you. And so yeah, feel free if anything comes up about the move that was that was unique about that, feel free to share. And, and one of the things I wanted to go explore is your entry into corporate America in this case, right? So you started your work experience in America. And um, how was that? How was that experience as an immigrant? Was there any differences, uh, any unique challenges that you faced? Yes, absolutely. And even today, Lola, so right now I'm an executive vice president for a large uh, global insurance company, and I'm still the only Latina that's at the executive level. And it was just very interesting growing, growing up, you know, or becoming a more mature adult in the corporate world because there weren't 
hardly any Latinas at all, actually Latina people, Latino people at all. And it was trying to fit in. And uh, my sisters kind of teased me because they're like, oh, Rosie, you fell on the, on the white side of the line because they are dark complected. And so because I'm very light complected, people don't know or assume, obviously, that I'm Hispanic, uh, Latina, but my sisters definitely had a different experience in the corporate world because they are, again, dark complected. So they experienced a lot more discrimination than I did, even though we had the exact same upbringing, the exact same parents, because we look different, we were treated differently. So it was, uh, it was very odd. And then fitting in, trying to figure out, you know, when you're with non-Hispanic people, you have to try to fit in, right? And so then, and then when I would go home, that's where I would uh, be safe, feel safe, you know, with my family. And not that I was being inauthentic, you know, with, with non-Hispanic people, but they didn't know the customs. They didn't know, you know, anything about, and 30 years ago, none of the, like there weren't a lot of Mexican stores open in this area. Again, we're right outside of Chicago. So, you know, to find tortillas, it would just be like difficult to find them, you know? So, so things like that. And now, now you can find, you know, Mexican stores all over the place and a lot of uh, Hispanic food that is now pretty much prevalent everywhere. But it wasn't like that 30 years ago when I started. So I had to, even my name, I feel like I had to adapt to, the corporate world because even my name which is rosa maria people couldn't even say rosa they would say rosa and i had this traumatic experience in first grade where this little kid would call me rosa bozo rosa bozo because he was just mean and you know <laughs> making fun of me so when i entered the corporate world i i was thinking it's like people can't say rosa so i went by rose just so that it would be easier for people to say my name so I now looking back, I feel that I did have to give up some of my identity to try to make things easier for other people, you know, so I, I, I may have lost myself a little bit in that, but I did what I had to just to, <laughs> just to survive, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. And that's exactly it. Uh, that's the, that's the key part of it. You said it, feeding in, we come in and we all try to feed in. But it's not sustainable, and at some point, you know, you're going to get you're going to get stressed out if you keep trying to be less of who you are, right? So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. So you've, I mean, you've spent a substantial amount of time in in corporate America, and you've seen changes. So let let me ask you a question about recent. Do you, do you think? What are some of the key areas that you've seen differences in the workplace? Or are there any? <laughs> Maybe that's the question, right? Uh, with accommodating, you know, including other ethnicities in the workplace. I think the corporate world is definitely trying to be more diverse. I think they still have a long way to go. Because, like I said, they're still not you know, any Latina people in the executive realm. And there's actually not even that many Latina people, Latino or Latina people in my corporation. And so I know it, it's probably a little bit more um, uncommon, but it's not necessarily unique. 
Uh, I think that they're trying to recruit people that are a little bit more diverse, but it takes time to get to, you know, really be representative of all people. So they're trying, they still have a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get, let's get to the crux of the conversation, I guess, um, which is for an audience of immigrants who are in corporate workplace right now, or maybe in, in college, right? You are in grad school or undergrad in the U.S. and you are preparing to go in the corporate workplace. Um, first, from your own experience, you want to share a little bit of uh, maybe some of the areas where being an immigrant was able to be leveraged as an advantage that, that helped you at work, some of the tools and resources that you, you, you remember using that helped you? Well, I think for sure, my span, like for my first job, I obviously speak Spanish. So Spanish was an asset for me because we did have customers that only spoke Spanish. So a lot of times they would say, hey, Rosie, would you come and talk to this client because I don't understand them? So I would go and do the translation. So that was definitely a benefit for me. And to me, again, having that dual um, ethnicity was helpful because I could see where we could grow for Hispanic people, where we could grow and be better. And one of the, one of the ways that I wanted to grow is to advance in my career. I wanted to make my parents proud and I wanted to really succeed. So I was very motivated. Now, my parents were always telling us, my dad, like, for example, when I got my first job, I told him, hey, dad, I got a job. And he's like, okay, great. Did you get a raise? And every time, you know, I got a promotion, dad, I got a promotion. Great. Did you ask for more money? So he was always kind of kidding at the same time, but for me being Hispanic and the way that my parents brought us up, he brought my dad specifically was like, you need to push yourself to continue to move up the corporate ladder or whatever, you know, whatever job we had, but he always pushed us, which meant that I pushed myself. So at, at, you know, at some point in my adult life, my dad stopped pushing me and then I started pushing me to become more successful because I wanted to have a better life, better life for myself. My parents both came from nothing. Uh, my dad was pretty much uh, housed in a boarding school for basically an orphanage. My mom was one of 10 and she was a cotton picker when she was young. So my parents came from nothing. And you know, they, my dad was hardworking. We never lacked any food, but when I started working, I was motivated from day one and every three or four years, I'm like, okay, what's next? I've done my job here. I've learned everything that I can now what's next. So my heritage and my parents helped me to, to succeed, to push myself so that I can be successful. So right. I think a lot of those things helped me to advance in my career and get to where I am today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's always um, important to highlight, right? We, we think about the negatives more than we think about the positives a lot. And, and as immigrants, that's one of the things I always want to talk about here is, okay, there might be certain barriers that we face as immigrants. You know, communication was a big one among everybody that I talk to, right? That communication barrier, which is not even just the language. 
It's just communicating um, in the workplace when you have dual language and, and being able to understand that being an immigrant does not have to be only barriers. You know, especially when we see people that are thriving, there are some advantage that they've been able to take care of from their background. So, so I, I, I definitely wanted to highlight what you just said exactly is right. You, you can't be separated from your background. Your background shaped you and, and has um, helped you to thrive. Did you have any um, mentors, resources that you also leveraged in the workplace? You know, it was, it was kind of interesting, Lola, because I didn't know what I didn't know. So when I was even in college, I didn't really even know what a mentor was. Like I had to figure out like financial aid, for example, I had to figure out what financial aid was, how to apply for a job. And when I applied for college, Lola, it was by the grace of God that I applied to the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, which is a great school. And God really paved the way for me because I applied to one college and one college accepted me. <laughs> and I, I, at the time, because I had moved from Texas to Illinois and I didn't even really know how good the university was. And so I didn't even really realize that there was so much for me to know. My parents really couldn't help me because they never went to college my, I have two older sisters. They couldn't help me because they hadn't gone to college at the time. So it was me really paving the way for myself and trying to figure things out. And the language, Lola, was really difficult because, again, I got to, to high school with a third grade English level. And so high school, it was like four years of me trying to absorb and, and understand all of the nuances and I have to say my high school counselor was a somewhat of a mentor because although I didn't realize it, but they were like, oh no, your grades are good because I tried really hard. So they said you could go to the vocational route or the college preparatory route. So the counselor said you should go to college. And I was like, okay, I had no idea. I mean, he could have very well said go to a vocational school. And I would have been like, okay, because I was clueless. So one of the things that I would have, you know, would do over is ask people that, that I knew were already here because I just felt alone and I felt like I had to figure it out all out by myself. And eventually I did, but it was through a lot of painstaking trial and error that I really didn't have to do by myself. So that would be one thing that I would recommend people is to your point, get a mentor, talk to somebody that's already been through the process so that you can do it a little bit smarter than I did, Lola. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely get that. And part of the community from Immigrants Incorporate is the goal. There's a group on Facebook, there's a group on LinkedIn. And, and the thought behind this is we can all learn from each other. As immigrants, it can be very lonely in the corporate workplace, right? Being the only in different ways can be daunting. And, and it's easier when you find people who have gone through it, who have, you know, that representation and, and 
I've used different methods um, instead of Google. A lot of us have to rely on Google as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I agree. <laughs> uh, so you, you have been um, in corporates for over 30 years, you shared, yes. right? Um, yes. lots, lots of experience that I'm sure you can unpack there. But then you also moved your career, interestingly, into leadership for women. How did you make that transition? Because you are still in corporate, but now you, you also launched something else out of all your uh, previous experience. Yes, absolutely. So when I was um, when I started my vice president position, I also was in charge of education and training. And we hired college age graduates as new hires. And I when I onboarded the the groups of people, and it was like maybe eight to 10 new hires. The first person that either asked or answered a question on that very first day was always a man, uh, you know, a male. And I made it a point to pull all of the females aside and say, listen, you need to use your voice. You need to speak up. You need to make sure that you are uh, challenging yourself enough to ask questions. And that's mm -hmm. actually the first time that I was wise enough to realize that women were holding themselves back. And this was in 2017. And in about 2019, I kept noticing this. And that's when I started, I started volunteering outside of work. I uh, belonged to a couple of organizations where uh, one of them is called Dress for Success, which is an incredible organization. They help women that are transitioning from job to job. And they had a career coach, a volunteer opportunity. So I started there. And now I volunteer at another organization where I, I coach uh, executives um, when they're in transition of a job. But I notice that women don't advocate for themselves. They don't apply. And interestingly enough, I kind of went back through my history and I realized that when I was ready to get into management, you know, I was literally waiting at my desk, you know, any day now someone's going to come and tap me on the shoulder and they're going to ask me to step into manager and nobody ever came. And one, once I finally met with the executive at the time and I said, hey, you know what? I, I'd like to talk to you about management opportunity. And they were like, oh, really? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, you never said anything. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, why didn't I speak up sooner? Why didn't I say something sooner? And that this, that's one of the light bulb moments that I had. And at that time I started advocating for myself. So I went into actually shortly after that, about six months later, I actually stepped into a management role. And five years after that, I went into the executive role, but that this time I knew that I had to advocate for myself. I knew I had to have conversations with different leaders and more than anything, advertise the fact that I was interested in continuing to move up the corporate ladder. So that's when, you know, in this position, I knew that I had to help women that are coming up behind me. And it's my passion to help women in their career development so that they can have the, the dream job that they've always um, thought about. Yeah. No, thank, thank you for sharing that. I know there's a lot of uh, controversy around making, doing the work 
right? Underrepresented people being the one to do the work. And there is, there is the role. There's the role that the organization has. Um, I do a lot of work with companies around building inclusive workplaces, right? But we all know that those processes can take a while. So we cannot gloss over the fact that as individuals, we also have a role to play. And, and you talk a lot about women needing to unlock the leader within to get a seat at the table. What do you mean by that? And how, how, can, how, can, how do you, can you explain a little more about that for, for individuals, for immigrants, for women, for just underrepresented people generally? Yeah. So one of the things that the very first thing that I always talk about, there's three things that I generally talk about when, when someone is trying to advance in their career so that they can get that seat at the table. The very first thing is you have to believe that you are deserving of that job. So many women don't know that they're deserving. They're holding themselves back. And what I mean by that specifically is they don't apply for the job that they're interested in. And it's as simple as that because men generally apply for jobs having 50% of the skills, but we women wait till we have a hundred percent of the skills. So, I always recommend if you are interested in the job, even if you don't have 100% of the skills, you you should apply for it. You get to apply for it. And some people would say, well, I don't have all the skills, but that's okay. Sometimes we have we feel like we have to follow the rules 100%, but you don't necessarily have to follow the rule when it comes to applying for a job. So that's the the first thing. You have to believe that you deserve the job and then you have to take action by applying for the job, by asking for what you need in that position. The second piece is, the second piece to that is uh, they need to operate with a growth mindset. And having a growth mindset is just whenever you're reacting to a situation, you react in a positive way where whatever, uh, whatever scenario or situation you have, you use it as a tool for learning instead of getting angry about the situation. So if your manager is giving you feedback, you use that as a tool for learning instead of being mad that they're giving you feedback. And then the last thing, Lola, is that you have to have a focused strategy, meaning that you have to have a plan for your career. You can't just sit back and let your manager figure out your career for you. You have to be proactive and you have to take action. So those are our three things in a very small nutshell when I talk about getting a seat at the table to uh, discover the leader within, you have to take action. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those are really important points that you bring. I, I think there, there's a space for mindsets. There's a space for keeping the learning hat on, regardless of what, what comes up, what shows up. And um, when I'm up, I always, I started, I know for me, one of the things that worked when I started applying for roles, um, I, I originally started as a scientist. My career has moved way <laughs> further than, than the bench. But one of the things that I say when people ask about that is I look at the job description and I look at the role, what the role requires. Because if I start from uh, qualifications, I always get stuck and I'll self-eliminate, right? Because <laughs> you look at all of the qualifications. And, and when... You, you begin to have experience in the corporate world and you see how some of these job descriptions are really set. You realize you could probably believe what the role requires more than the qualifications a lot of times because 
Sometimes the hiring manager has no clue, right? They just know what they need done. And and then they set this arbitrary um, requirement. <laughs> yes. And you know what? I, I also recommend for women to apply for the job. And, and if you don't qualify, let someone else make the decision for you. Don't discount yourself by not applying for the job. Again, let someone else make the decision for you. And if you don't get it, fine, apply for another position or keep applying until you earn that position that, that you really want. And obviously applying is just the very first step, right? There's other things that you have to do, but that's the first step. Yeah. And I think even applying, right? So, so you talk about women and think about an immigrant woman or an immigrant generally. This is another layer of, you know, imposter syndrome, self-elimination, self-doubt, right? On top of being a woman. And, and so if you think about the multiplied effects of being an underrepresented person in, in different areas, some of that is we also need that confidence boost. If you apply for a job, it might just be a good way to also get feedback, right? Because you, you, you get called for the interview and then you get to showcase your skills. I mean, we've recently been hearing stories of people that go for an interview and end up getting a different job than the one they applied for. Because when you get that opportunity to get before the hiring managers, the decision makers at an organization, if your goal is to work at that organization, that's a step, that's a foot in the door. That's a step in the right direction for you to showcase your skill and, and you never really know. So yeah, well, thank you for the work you do. You know what? I wanted to bring up one other thing. So when you're applying for a position now, if, if it's a new company that you're applying for, one of the things that I'm really advocating is make sure that you come into the interview with a 90 day plan. Now, obviously the 90 day plan may not be a hundred percent accurate because you don't know the company, you don't know the ins and outs, but having a 90 day plan as to what you're going to do the first 30, 60, 90 days is a great way to differentiate yourself from your competition. So that's really big. And then if you're applying internally for a position, uh, also have your 90 day plan, which is your, your future, but have a succession plan for the person that's going to come into your position, that's going to step into your position and give them everything that you, that you already have done to make their transition easier. And you present both of those to your, uh, to the hiring manager. And that's also a phenomenal way for you to differentiate yourself because you're doing uh, work that is outside of the, the scope of your, of your position. And it's very well received when you have those two, the succession plan and the, the 90 day plan. Yeah. Well, thank you for the work you do because we're definitely going to be sharing your social um, handles so people can follow you. Part of the job that Immigrant Incorporate wants to do is to also provide resources for immigrants. You know, some of these things, we, we internalize a lot of the, the barriers to where we don't make any move. But if you are in corporate America, if you're feeling stuck or not sure where to go next, um, want to be able to share powerful resources that people can use. Because obviously you've been there, you're still there, and you are thriving in your career, you know, despite uh, the rough beginnings and transition as an immigrant. And you've used some of these tools. So being able to package it and, and use it to support others is really helpful. Thank you for what you do. 
Um, so if you think of, uh, you know, the people listening now, any final thoughts on, I feel like you've already been doing that as we've gone along, right? Which is share tips. Like you went really deep into the three steps, but if a, an immigrant who is stuck in their career or who is just entering the corporate workplace, um, doesn't have to be even be America, right? Corporate workplace overall. Um, what are some of the takeaways that you would like them to walk away with from this conversation on what to do? The biggest thing is you are the person that's responsible for your career. Do not leave your career in anybody's hands, especially your manager, because your manager is busy with their own thing. So you need to take ownership of your career. And by the way, Lola, on my website, which you have the link to, there is a free course that people can take, which is the corporate kickstart course. And it kind of walks them through some of these steps. So it is a free gift. All they have to do is sign up. But I think that's a great start for them to try to figure out where to um, where to focus on. So, you know, that is just a gift that I have for anybody that wants to figure out how to kickstart their their career. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely be sharing that. Um, appreciate it. And then I always end with one final question. I'm looking forward to this one because I, I like food. Uh, if you were to share a dish, could be a snack or fruit with your coworkers from your home country, what will it be and why? Oh, I am always going to go with uh, chicken quesadillas. And the reason, the reason is because they're really easy to make and they remind me of my childhood. They remind me of when I used to live in Mexico City and we used to go to a little Mexican stand and the quesadillas would be like steaming hot and the cheese was always like gooey and fantastic. Mm-hmm. So now I just add a little chicken for protein, but it would always be chicken quesadillas has been my go-to forever. And of course the refried bean tacos, <laughs> you know, I still make beans, you know, regularly to this day, but refried bean tacos is the second thing. So those are a couple of quick and easy uh, recipes. <laughs> Oh my gosh, now you're making me hungry. I live in a part of uh, San Diego where there's a lot of uh, Mexican communities. And mm-hmm. so I, I, there is no shortage of Mexican food around me, but sure. I always hear that it's not like the real thing. <laughs> well, you know what they say about Mexican food? It's kind of like Italian food. Like Italian food is just all the different pastas. Mexican food is some kind of tortilla with cheese and sour cream and refried beans and you can make it in different shapes and stuff and it's all the same stuff so <laughs> very similar oh <laughs> well thank you so much rosie for for coming on and for having this conversation and thank you for the work you continue to do as well for leading as an executive in corporates you know overcoming all of the barriers leveraging your strengths and i will definitely be sharing your free resources and information with my audience and I look forward to following up. All right, well, well, thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you for joining me, Lola Adeyemo, as always, for these important conversations on the corporate world of work 
from the immigrant perspective. For more resources and upcoming events, please visit our website www.immigrantsincorporate.org. You can also follow us on Instagram at Immigrants Incorporate. If you are on LinkedIn, please join the group Thriving in Intersectionality Immigrants Incorporate America. There will be a new episode every week, so make sure you are subscribed to get notified. Please leave us a rating, leave a review, and I hope to see you next time. Thank you.